entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. The show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builders Show, and along with my executive producer, DC Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. Let me tell you my super objective in being with you today. I want to enthusiastically share stories and information to inspire leaders so they can inspire others. I'm proud to let you know, we record the Business Builder Show in the studios of 94.3 FM The Talker, which is part of Bull Gold Media, and we are in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The Business Builder Show is distributed by C-Suite Radio. You can find our show and many other fine shows at c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. My special guest today is Alex Hutchinson. Hi, Alex. How are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me on, Marty. I'm thrilled you're here. Alex wrote a great book. The title of the book is Endure, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. Let me say this, Alex, for you and for our audience. This is one of the best researched, best written books I have read in a long time. So congratulations, and I'm saying that because I normally don't read a long introduction, but I'm going to do that, audience, folks, because I think it's important for you to grasp uh, who Alex is, and all that will come through as, as we talk. Alex Hutchinson, Ph.D., is a columnist for Outside Magazine and was a longtime columnist for Runner's World, a national magazine award winner. He is a regular contributor to the New Yorker Online and pens a bi-weekly jockology column in the Toronto Globe and Mail. He also writes for the New York Times and 538 recently named him one of the favorite running science geeks. And he, he is a two-time finalist in the 1500 meters at the Canadian Olympic trials. And he represented Canada internationally in track, cross country, road racing, and mountain running competitions. He was a PhD in physics from the University of Cambridge, and he has worked as a researcher for the United States National Security Agency, and he lives in Toronto, Canada, Canada, and that's where you may be right now. Is that correct, Alex? That's where I am right now, and it's even uh, warm and sunny outside the window in, window in Toronto here. Excellent. Same here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is a rare rarity here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, but we have nice weather here. Okay. So, um, like I said before we went on mic, I said this book, deserves a lot more than a 20 or 25 minute interview. I've already mentioned how it's so well researched and so well written. Um, and by the way, I'm going to keep giving him accolades. Um, a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, a lot of our audience will recognize, says this book is amazing. And uh, Malcolm also wrote the forward to the book. How did you make that happen, by the way, Alex? Yeah, the, the, the secret is that Malcolm is a, a, a devoted runner. Uh, actually, I would almost say a fanatically uh, interested runner. So we made that connection over our running interest. And he's from the same same area as me. And so we both ran in some of the races uh, 15 years apart or so when we were in high school. So uh, yeah. so I was lucky to be able to make that connection with him. 
Yeah, and I got it uh, through the uh, next next big idea club, which is Malcolm and uh, Daniel Pink and uh, Susan Kane and Adam Grant. So that's where I got it. Okay, so let's start this way. Uh, that let's start at the beginning. <laughs> what what was the inspiration? Obviously, you are an athlete. You've studied athletes. You've written about competition. What kind of inspired it? Why did you write it? Want to write the book? Yeah, it definitely started out as a, a sort of the, the deep question that you face as a as a runner or as an athlete is how fast can I go? What defines my limits? And you know, and when you reach the sort of peak of your your powers, you say, well, why can't I go faster? So it started out trying to ask that question and and also trying to understand why, uh, you know, why it wasn't just mathematical. Why I couldn't because because as every athlete knows, sometimes you have performances that surprise yourself that are, that go way beyond what you expected. And sometimes it's the other way you, you, you do way worse than you expected. Hmm. And you'd think if it was just about your muscles, it would be, or, or your body, it would be very simple. But what, what I sort of re- realized intuitively was that it's, uh, really your mind plays a huge role in, in defining what feels like your physical limits. And I wanted to understand, uh, the, the science of that. What do you mean by mathematical? Well, so over the course of the 20th century, physiologists spent a ton, a ton of time trying to understand the body as a kind of machine. And, and by the end of the 20th century, there was this sort of formula. So if you think about, you know, my personal interest is in, in distance running. So you think about a marathon, uh, you can talk about things like VO2 max, which is kind of how much oxygen you can deliver to your muscles and your lactate threshold and uh, running economy, <clears throat> economy, which is like the fuel economy of a car. And you, you can actually calculate. You can say you can take someone to the lab, measure those parameters and say you should be able to run a marathon in two hours, 47 minutes and 32 seconds, mm-hmm. uh, except the, the problem is. Even though that's you know fantastic research, it you never actually run the time you're supposed to run. So there's that gets you part of the way to understanding the sort of mathematical limits of the human body. But it turns out that's not actually uh, in practice. We never conform to those mathematics. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm not a runner. And so when I first got this title, I go like, okay, I'm not sure here. You know, like uh, you know, an older fat guy. I don't know. Is he is he going to be interested in this book? You got me hooked. I, I, I loved reading it. I loved the, the study. It, what drove me to keep going and why I really loved it is because of your research. Talk to me about the, the let's go back to that mathematical thing. Mention some people uh, that you wrote about in the book and, and some studies. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there, the, the thing about writing about endurance. So first of all, is, it, you know, endurance turns out to be a hugely broad topic. So it's not just about running. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's sort of about, you know, human endeavor. Uh, as I realized while writing the book, yeah. you know, realizing yeah. that having a couple kids and writing a book was as much of an endurance challenge as, as, yeah. uh, as running. So there's this whole cast of characters that whatever science you want to talk about, you, you know, I'm, I, so I'm interested in what what limits us. So as a runner, you know, you you pant, you feel like you're out of breath. So so I wanted to know what is what where how does oxygen really play a role yeah. in our limits? So that led me to free diving and extreme breath holders. Yeah. And and I was blown away to discover that the 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 record for holding your breath is 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Alex, let uh, me jump in. Those guys yeah. and gals are crazy. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> 
People think marathoners have a have a you know are, are are oh why are they pushing themselves so hard? Free divers, they're diving 300 feet on a single breath and coming up. But if they make one mistake, they're dead. Like you know, it's well, it's, it's yeah, it's more lethal than than mountain climbing. Let's let's like drive that. that point because that's part part of the whole story is like well why do they do that? I mean people die doing this, correct? C- correct, correct. <laughs> so why do they do that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, another way of explaining why I wrote the book is, is it's ca- kind of a extended psychoanalysis of trying yeah. to understand why I was so driven to 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 push my limits as a runner. But yeah, there's people who push their limits in far more extreme ways. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of things going on there. There's, you know, uh, yeah. we, we uh, everyone's a little bit different. But one one thing that I came away with the impression uh, uh, that one of the reasons, pe- you know, like there's something I can't remember. There's like 90 million people who who, uh, you know, go for a run occasionally in the, in the U.S. And, and some of them do it just for health. But why are people driven to push their limits, whether yeah. it's in business, whether it's in their personal lives, whether it's in sports? Yeah. And I think one of the things that that attracts people is to go back to what we were saying earlier is that it's not mathematical. It's not like. It's like yeah. there is no national league of height where you see like who's tallest today because the answer is always the same and you always know how tall you are. But we, we love things that where there's uncertainty, where there's the possibility of doing better or worse and where you don't know what the outcome is until yeah. that day. If I, you know, I've been running for 25 years. If I go run a 5K, I, I have a rough idea of how fast I'll know, uh, go, but I really don't know how I'm going to do and whether how well I'm going to do at pushing through those limits until yeah. I – get in the arena and see how it goes. So I think there's an, an attraction to just seeing how you measure up and knowing that the outcome isn't determined until you get out there and do it. Yeah. Uh, my guest is Alex Hutchinson. His book is Endure, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. For people to connect with you, what's what way would you like best? Is it Twitter? Talk to me about that. Yeah, Twitter's probably the easiest. Uh, my handle is uh, Sweat Science. All, all one word. And that's where, you know, if I have articles or if I read it and someone else's interesting article or, or have any, you know, deep thoughts, uh, <laughs> I put that in quotes, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's where I, I post most regularly. Um, yeah. So yeah, Twitter at Sweat Science. Very catchy. Sweat Science. Yeah, very catchy. I got it. Okay. So the book is written in three parts. And again, there's so much research, so many details. You talk about fuel, you talk about oxygen you talk about the mind and the brain and and so you got to read this book folks Uh, again as alex has already pointed out this is about endurance and life and and it gives there's a lot of analogies there so let's let's tackle it this way book is written in three parts Uh, mind and muscle limits and limit breakers i think is the third one so kind of summarize the part one mind and muscle talk to me about that yeah, so the the first part is kind of the the big uh, theoretical background to to explain when we, to to set the stage for understanding specific limits, and it goes into the history of our attempts to different ways of uh, understanding limits. So, like I said before, twentieth century, it's all about understanding the body as a machine, mm. and then there was this a pretty radical change in the in the nineties where people started to say, "Hang on." no matter how much we know about the body, we still can't predict who's going to win a race. We need to understand the mind. And so there's there's a bunch of theories around that. So that first part is trying to look at, uh, you know, going from the early theories of like lactic acid, which we all heard about when we were younger as as Mm -hmm. the the great limiter to to modern theories of the brain and saying, here's all the ideas and we don't have the answers, but that'll Mm -hmm. set the stage for the second part where we're going to say, okay, now we know what all the theories are for what should limit us. Let's look 
in practice, a real life, at how does oxygen limit us if, if, let's say, you're climbing a mountain or if you're freediving, how does pain limit us? Mm. Do, we, do we slow down in a marathon because it hurts? Or is that just kind of a byproduct and it hurts, but that's not really what limits us mm. um, and or heat or or hydration. So so the second part is all about isolating single things that we think of as limitations and trying to understand, do we really when we when we feel like, oh, man, I'm out of breath. Are we really out of oxygen or like, is that a red light or is that just a warning signal saying, yeah, uh, you, you need to slow down. So that's the that's the second part. And then the third part is, OK, we've talked about limits how do we break those limits? What are some of the ways that we can we can transcend limits that we feel? You know, if I'm saying, hey, a lot of these limits are actually dictated by the brain. The, the question is, okay, how do we actually push past them? Yeah, I, I found it fascinating. I really did. I mean, is the brain the regulatory thing? And forget what the words are. Control. Uh, I forget what the words are. Uh, how the brain is, is? Is your body telling you this? Is your brain telling this? Can you go further or not? And the, and the whole back and forth, what you did with that, I found fascinating. Uh, there's a couple things. Talk to me more about pain. That seems to be uh, kind of a universal thing that uh, these, uh, these athletes and these people, mountain climbers, cyclists, runners, uh, the, what role does pain play in all of this? Yeah, this was fascinating to me yeah. because yeah. You, you, we all have the assumption, look, if, if I go out and run down the street, it's going to start to, as hard as I can, it's going to start hurting pretty soon. And and we kind of associate that and say, well, I had to stop because it was hurting too much. Uh, and, and what it turns out is that pain is actually, uh, it's not just a negative. So first of all, um, if, 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 you, if, I, if I go on a treadmill, someone sets the speed and they say, run until you fall off, the point at which I fall off my pain won't actually be 10 out of 10. And if I'm motivated to keep going, it's not the pain that limits me. It's, it's actually that I, I'm just unable to keep moving my legs. So even mm. if I didn't care about the pain, uh, it, it, it's, it makes it unpleasant, but it's not the limiting factor. And in fact, they do these amazing studies where they inject nerve blocks into people's spines so that they can't feel any pain in their mm -hmm. legs and then have them do like cycling tests. Mm -hmm. And what they find is without pain, you don't do better. In fact, in some ways you do worse because you can't pace yourself. So pain is actually a really useful source of information. Yeah. You have to be able to feel the pain in order to maximize your performance. Fascinating. Yeah, and the, the limits that some people can put, they put themselves through in uh, the brain interaction. And uh, yeah, just fascinating. You know, talk to me about hydration because that surprised me. Like, I think it surprises a lot of people. Talk to me about, more about that. Yeah. So hydration is another classic example of something that, I mean, it's a real limiting factor. If you run out of water you're, or uh, of fluids in your body, you're going to die. Like, so it's, it's not, it's not like it's fake, but, but what most of us perceive as our limits, uh, is really just a warning sign. We start to feel thirsty and feeling thirsty is not the same as being out of water. And so if you look at what happens with elite marathoners, uh, some of sometimes they, they've done studies of people actually setting the world record in the marathon and, and they lose about 10% of their body weight. Mm. So, you know, if you're a 130 pound, uh, marathoner, that means you're losing 13 pounds, uh, over mm. the course of two hours. And so this this sort of traditional idea that once you've lost two percent of your body weight, you know, even if you're not thirsty, your performance is compromised. Uh, that's that's uh, we're kind of confusing the warning signals in our brain that tell you you're thirsty with actually having your your performance compromised. So mm -hmm. uh, you know the message isn't don't drink. Uh, then uh, you know hydration's super important and uh, both throughout the day sure. and if you're uh, you know exercising, but. 
you know, I, I, one thing I would say is if you do get a little thirsty, it's not the end of the world as long as you're not out in the Mojave Desert. If you're, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you get a little thirsty, it's no big deal. It's just your body telling you, hey, you should you should yeah. find some fluid soon. Yeah. There, there is such a thing, and you mentioned the people drinking too much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that was fascinating, it, man. Yeah. So you know, as as we started to understand dehydration and realizing that if you do get too dehydrated, you, you, your performance suffers, the pendulum kind of swung a little too far in the other direction. And by the 1990s, we had these hydration guidelines that were saying, you know, if you lose any fluid at all, you're you're in trouble. And so you should always drink as much as you possibly can to try and avoid getting dehydrated. And, and that led to a rash of, of, of deaths from something called hyponatremia, which is basically water mm. intoxication. You, you dilute the, the water in your or the, the fluids in your system so much that your, your brain swells and you die. Now, it's, this is not common. Like right. you should not start like putting a poison label on your on your water bottle or anything <laughs> like that. But it's it just goes to show that, that listening to that, you know, the, the the way to go is to pay attention to the signals that your body's sending you because they've evolved over a long time. And if you're thirsty, drink. And if you're not thirsty, don't worry about drinking. Yeah. Uh, because forcing yourself to drink can have, uh, uh, you know, negative con- consequences in just the same way that not drinking can. Yeah. My guest is Alex Hutchinson. His book is Endure, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. Uh, I've already mentioned this is one of the best researched and best written books I've written in some time. I found it fascinating, engaging, uh, educational. Uh, and his Twitter handle is uh, at sweat science sweat science so you want to follow him there talk to me about your personal journey if you will in terms of some experiments or some things that you tried or that you personally participated in that you wrote about in the book yeah so uh, probably the 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 thing that uh well I, I will say that shocked me the most and that's a pun as you'll see is uh electric brain stimulation so what in my sort of search to understand okay, if the brain controls our limits, how can we alter it? I came across a bunch of research on this technique where you basically, it's the equivalent of taking a nine volt battery and sticking a couple of electrodes on your head. Mm. Uh, and yeah, if you do it right in a lab, you can, you can, uh, um, you can alter the sensitivity of the neurons in your brain in a way that changes how hard effort exercise feels. And that allows you to en- enhance your performance. And this is something that pro athletes are now doing uh, there were some of the athletes at the winter olympics this year were, were using this technique so anyway i i a company in california that makes a sort of consumer version of this uh they they sent me a prototype that i could uh, i could mm-hmm. try out mm-hmm. uh you know much against my wife's uh you know better better instincts <laughs> yeah um and it was a I'll, I'll be honest it was a complete disaster i'm, I'm uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, I'm a bald guy and I've been bald for a while. My scalp is pretty, pretty leathery. And, and so the, 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 these stupid electrodes just couldn't make contact with my skull. And, and so the little controller kept saying, press harder, press harder. And, and so I'd have all these, these like little dots in my head where these little spiky electrodes were digging into my scalp. Yeah. So I, I, I had to give it up. So it, it didn't work for me. And, and, and uh, it doesn't mean it won't work uh, for, for others, but it didn't work for me. Yeah. And the, the conclusion I, I, I came away with, to be honest, uh, uh, at the end is that if we're talking about pushing back our brain's limits, the, the secret isn't really in like, you know, zapping your brain with electricity or other sort of, you know, or drugs or any things like that, that really the most powerful thing you can do is, is work on your self-belief, work on your, your confidence. Uh, and, and this is the kind of thing that sounds sort of, you know, trite and cliched to me and, and that, 
you know, five years ago, I would have rolled my eyes if someone was saying, yeah, if, if yeah. you know, if you, if you work on your belief and you work on the self-talk and the monologue in your head, that's going to make a difference. But at the end of this process of the years of researching this book, that's the most compelling research I came across showing that if you deliberately and, you know, systematically work on, you know, the, your internal monologue and your self-confidence, it, it changes outcomes, you know, both in, in many areas of life, whether it's in sport or in, you know, your, your personal life or, or your business life. And, and just so you know, part of my walk today, I actually jogged for two blocks. That's a big step for me. So you inspired me, Alex, you know, that's a big step I, for me. I, I'm very glad to hear that. I hope it's, uh, you know, the the first step in a, you know, they say a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Maybe it begins with a, t- a two block jog. So, uh, yeah. so, so that's one of the things that kind of, uh, I guess that surprised you or, or, so, so what do you think has been confirmed? Uh, that may be a fair, an unfair question, but like that you already believed in and has kind of been confirmed by all your interviews with athletes and, uh, and there's been companies involved in different research. What has been confirmed in your mind? Yeah, to me, there's still, look, there's still a lot of uh, open questions. The brain is kind of this black box that we're just starting to pry open. So what, what we know now is that the brain is, is way more important than we, than we previously might have suspected. Uh, mm-hmm. Exactly how the brain controls performance uh, is, is still uh, really uh, you know, op- open for debate. But I think what's 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 been confirmed is that when you push yourself to your push yourself to your limit and reach that point where you're like, oh, my legs just can't go any farther. Mm-hmm. That's not because your legs actually can't go any farther or because your heart can't beat any faster. It's it's because your brain thinks your legs shouldn't go any farther or your heart shouldn't beat any faster. So it's uh, the the control is being. Yeah. Uh, you know, created by your brain. And so that doesn't, and that doesn't mean it's all in your head and you can just decide to, you know, I'm going to win the Olympics tomorrow because I have a really strong brain. That's not how it works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it goes but together. It, it, I think it's, it's negotiable. Limits are negotiable is to me the, the, the message that I, that I walk away from this with. So let's, uh, let's start to wrap up in the sense of talk to me about uh, marathon. You talk about the, the limits or the potential limits or the perceived limits of a, I think it's two hour, a marathon. Talk to me a little bit about that, because that was interwoven in everything that you talked about in the book. So uh, let's start wrapping up with uh, that uh, that background. Yeah, I think so. So the truth is, I, I you know, I would pretty much finished the book when Nike announced this big project that they ran last year where they spent tens of millions of dollars trying to run a trying to have one of their runners run a sub two hour marathon. And in the end, uh, a guy named Elliot Kipchoge ran two flat zero minutes and 25 seconds. So he came very, very close, which yeah. was but several minutes faster than the world record. And to me, that kind of summed up a lot of the themes that I was uh, really looking at in, in, in my research uh, about how we push back our limits. Because Elliot Kipchoge, the guy who did it, is this really sort of Yoda-like figure who was mm-hmm. all about uh, the role of the mind. You know, as Nike was spending tens of millions of dollars on the technology, but when I asked Kipchoge, like, how are you going to run two hours for a marathon when that's so much faster than anyone else has done before. How are you going to change your training? And his answer was like, my training's not going to change. The training will be the same, but my mind will be different. He was, and this is the kind of thing we've heard from athletes, Mm. you know, over and over and over for years and years and years. Uh, Great athletes always say this. Scientists and and sort of skeptics like me always say, well, okay, come on, but what's the real secret? But I come away from this thinking, oh, maybe that was the real secret all along. You know, maybe that's what we needed to pay attention to. Pay attention to all of it is my suggestion, and uh, especially by reading this great book. Alex Hutchinson has been my guest. His book is Endure, 
mind, body, and the curiously elastic limits of human performance. I found it fascinating. Alex, thank you so much for being our guest on the Business Builder Show. Thanks, Marty. It's been great to have this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. Reminding you to find all our shows and many other great shows on C-Suite Radio. That's c-suiteradio.com. On behalf of myself, Marty Wolf, your host, and D.C. Taylor, my executive producer, thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show, but stay tuned for information on how you can become part of the C-Suite Network. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. As a loyal fan of this C-Suite Radio Show, we've got an unbelievable offer for you. Listeners to the Business Builder Show get 50% off a C-Suite Network membership. The C-Suite Network will help you become the most strategic person in the room. You'll have access to top-notch benefits and networking, all helping you get the most out of your position. Take advantage of this limited-time offer today. Learn more about the C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR. Again, that's 50% off a C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR.